Hey, come on in. All right. Um, of course, you know the drill. Go ahead and get those streaks out. Mine are pretty clean today. Make sure you get all fingerprints out, anything that could block your view. All right, you ready? I'm ready. Let's take a view through Ashlyn's lens. So welcome to another episode of Through Ashlyn's Lens, where I invite you in to take a view from my perspective, I mean, even the perspectives of those that are guests on the show. Now, you know, I'm becoming a pastorist out there now. We've said it so many times, I'm mean, at least four times, this is the fourth episode. And while I'm becoming a pastor, it's not just me because I've invited you into the journey. Here um, on this podcast, in this segment, we talk about, um, we really I'm publicly having conversations that I've really had to have while in preparation to become a pastor. And so remember, this is not just a conversation between us that are here on the screen. It's also involving you. Meet me in the comment section. Talk back to us. Let us know what um, what makes sense to you. What doesn't? Anything you need clarity on? Um, anything that you just want to continue the conversation on? Please inbox, DM, and even comment. And so, man, I am so excited about today. Um, when I tell you um, in the Mentorship Matters conver conversation, we talked about how um, people can mentor you from afar and not even know that they're mentoring you. Well, let me tell you, Dr. Scroggins, Dr. Shantae Scroggins is one of my mentors. I have claimed her. I don't even think I told her until this moment. So look, here we are. You're my mentor. <laughs> well, let me tell you, even with when it comes to things that you wouldn't even think of being taught about Dr. Scroggins is teaching about it. She has had a blog um, since I can remember meeting her. And when I have, when I tell you I've sifted through that blog in so many ways, uh, just to find myself, I was able to identify with so many things. Even she did a teaching about gifted girls. If you're a girl and you're gifted, you need to go and read up on it. And even now she has so much going on. And so with that in mind, um, of course, the topic today we're talking about is, um, and I'm going to read it because I took time and made this topic, I'm telling you. <laughs> it's toxicity in leadership, acknowledging, avoiding, and addressing toxic leadership characteristics. All right, I'm going to bring Dr. Strongest on because I've said enough. She needs to come on on here. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> hey, Dr. Hello. Welcome. Um, like I said, when I started, even in preparation for this podcast, you were one of my main guests that I knew I had to bring on because it's so much going on, so much toxicity. In leadership, I even, you know, I called you up and said, Look, I'm about to be a pastor. What do I do to not be toxic? So, yeah, let's talk about that. Anything you want to say as of now to introduce yourself to viewers? Well, thank you for having me on. It is an honor. I've been keeping up and keeping track. So, I'm glad to be a part of the becoming conversation. Uh, and toxic leadership. This is going to sound strange, but toxic leadership, the study of it, delving into it. I love it because my lenses are transformation. So when I study toxic leadership, I'm looking at how we can flip it into a transformative practice, how we can um, heal it. There is some literature, some published work out there about healing toxic leadership, how the things we can do practically to move from a toxic spectrum to a transformational spectrum. So I'm looking forward to this discussion. Oh yeah, me too. I, um, I already have my pen and paper. Look, I have my pen and paper. I have to make sure. If I want to be a pastor, I do not want to 
you know, one of my greatest fears when it comes to pastoring is messing someone up, uh, causing them to have to backslide or like my actions to be a reason for them to have to react in a way that a Christian doesn't. And I, I want to, you know, of course we make mistakes. We already know that as human, but I want to at least cut off every mistake I can as far as I could or, you know, that same thing. But yeah, so um, let's talk about this. Let's talk about, um, well, in our title it says, what are ways that we can acknowledge toxic leadership or toxic traits? Because uh, one thing I want to know is if I see myself, I want to be able to see within myself something that will cause uh, me to act in a toxic way. Mm. Yes. So I would begin with the language of leadership. And I've been talking about that a lot lately, just across the board. We tend to have an experience and say that was a good leader or a bad leader. In these days, we'll say that leader is toxic. Well, generic terms don't help us. And the more specific we can get around the language, it creates pockets or space or room to build some understanding. So when we talk about the language of leadership and we say, I don't want to be a toxic leader, what am I talking about? There is uh, there's a range or a spectrum of toxicity on one end on the le- I'm going to call it the lesser end. It still is impacting. But on one end, we have bullying. On the other end, we have dictators, you know, so and they're both toxic and there's a spectrum in between that over time, if left unchecked, one can become the other. So bullying is an example of toxic behavior. Abusive supervision is an example of toxic behavior. Um, Destructive leadership is another topic on its own. And toxic leadership by definition is one person who rallies more people to go against the mission of the organization and follow them in tearing down the mission. And so when we look at that definition, a lot of what we're dealing with is not toxic leadership, it is toxic behavior. So uh, adult bullying is by definition the repeated, the repeated attack on one person by one other or a group. And that can include physical contact. It can include nonverbal contact within an organizational structure. It can mean you need to be in the meeting, but we make sure you never know about any of the meetings. That bullying, bullying can look different ways. Abusive supervision is another way where a supervisor in the work construct is constantly picking constantly picking. They can never be satisfied and they're, they transfer. It's, you can never do anything right. It doesn't matter. You can, you can bring as many peace offerings as you want and you will never make an abusive supervisor happy. And those are just a few examples. One that I actually love is pseudo transformational leadership. These are the toxic leaders who bait us with their charisma. And so they're approachable and they're lively and they're fun and great. But when we get into working with them, we find out that that charisma was a cover. 
It was a cover for toxic leadership. Another form of leadership that falls in that spectrum is laissez-faire leadership. And I don't think that one gets talked about enough. Laissez-faire leadership is basically zero leadership. It's where the leader decides I'm not going to get involved. So let's take a leader who hates conflict. And whenever you get people together, there will always be conflict on some level. And a leader who does not like conflict becomes a laissez-faire leader in some parts because they don't work towards a solution. They just kind of let us figure it out and, and duke it out and roll it out and, you know, silent treatment it out. And they just let us act however we're going to act without intervening to bring some kind of understanding and order. So when you begin the discussion on toxicity and leadership, I believe it needs to begin with the language of leadership. And that happens when we expose ourselves to forums like this, to TED Talks, to books, to articles, and get over that hump of thinking that what I study, I become. That's just my idea about why I think people don't really study toxic leadership. It's easier to be wild and to say, oh, that's toxic or that's toxic or that's toxic instead of getting informed and learning, oh, that may not be toxic. That could just be a personality flaw or that could just be bad, the effect of bad mentoring. They had a bad example, so they're perpetuating a bad example. But I, I think it's important to get informed. And if we study toxic leadership or if we attend the events of those who study toxic leadership, then we can get informed and we create room and awareness. And that's how you check yourself. We remove blind spots when we get informed, because as we get informed, sometimes we see ourselves or if it's if we're far enough away from it, we can see others around us. And eventually that mirror has to has to turn on us. Absolutely. I'm glad you said that, because um, one thing I have I have been um, pretty intentional about has been language, uh, even in church. Because I didn't grow up Pentecostal, you know, I didn't grow up very in depth into the church world, really. And so, some when I came when I started coming around more, uh, a lot of things were said that I just didn't understand. I remember uh, having an experience where a, a woman was praying for me, and they were they were praying that I was allowed, um, well, that I would have I, that I gained the ability to pray in you know heavenly language, right? And so while they were saying that, I remember it was a uh, a young lady that looked that reminded me of my grandmother. And she the, the person that was praying for me said, you know, open your mouth. And so I'm up there and I, I had never been I had never been around a place where uh, laying on his hands had happened for real. And especially not been a part of the whole the whole ordeal, right? And so this is my first example. And while this was happening, they were preparing to lay hands on me. And not only that, but there was also like all the ministers had been called up to the front and they created a circle around me. And so I'm, I'm already frightened at this point. I'm an introvert too. And so first of all, being called to the front, it's like, oh my God. But then everybody else is called. And so now everyone's looking at me and they have a circle around me. And I'm like, okay, God. You know, I really want to pray. I want to pray with a heavy language as well. But and I had just asked him for it earlier that week, actually. 
I started praying because I said, well, God, I feel like if people can pray um, in a different language with you, that means they have a you know, secret language with you. And I feel like my relationship with you is pretty good. So you should have it too. That, that was my conversation with God. Right. And so then I go to this service and the lady is about is praying. She's about to pray for me. And so she tells me, she says, um, just, you know, close your eyes and, and open your mouth. Like just because oh, I was praying, we were praying at that point, and I'm praying in my head, like, okay, God, let's do it. I, I yield to whatever's going on. That's me talking to God in my head now, not out loud. And so um, the lady was like, just open your mouth. And I was like, well, God, um, if my, if my ears are closed because I'm praying, if I open my mouth, that's kind of weird. I don't know what they may do, you know. I guess I wasn't trusting them in that moment. And so while that was happening, this, um, the, the, Young lady beside me that reminded me of my grandmother. She said, "My grandmother actually." She said, "Baby, you don't know how to open your mouth." And I was like, "That from that point, that was like, shut off." When she said that, I said, "Okay, this oh, God, I don't think this is for me. I think we're gonna have to do it together, probably." Don't <laughs> oh, know how to open my mouth at this point. I was um, in college age, and so yeah, maybe at this point, and I was not slim, so obviously I can open my mouth if I can eat, you know. And so I said that to say, you know, the, the term is, we say open your mouth because what they're really saying is pray out loud, right? Use your voice. But because they didn't say that, I immediately was offended. And I didn't know what they meant, so I really couldn't do it. And so since after that, knowing how I felt in that moment, I've tried to take our churchy term and really kind of um, put them in a more universal standpoint or just pretty much say it in regular language, regular English, so that I can be understood. And so, yes, language is very important. That's all I was trying to get to. Is, yeah, uh, it's important that we uh, look at the language portion of things because we can take something that we think our perspective says this is toxic, when in actuality, it's not. Um, it's really just someone that needs a little work. And that's that is you. You bring up a powerful point with that statement. Uh, because toxicity is not always determined by our experience. Any conclusions that we're drawing from experience alone, we need to fact check. We need to fact check. And I, I'll give an example of since this is in the journey toward the pastorate. Um, one of my big issues is people who say generically in a blanket statement, the church is in trouble or they make these indictments on the church. My first and my first thought is always, where have you been? I want to know if you've traveled because those of us who live in the Bible belt from Texas to the coast East, then we have a different, we're churchier. We're more religious. We're more traditional. So we have a way of seeing things that we just throw at the entire body of Christ. When there are places around the world where miracles are happening, active signs and wonders daily. And so the church is not in trouble. Now the arm might be hurt, you know, or the foot might be wrapped up right now, but the entire body of Christ is not in trouble. And so it, I, I make that example to tie in with experience. We cannot, um, in leadership, you can't pastor based off your experience, whether it was fantastic or whether it was terrible. There is a way that God has given for the people 
Now we tend to personalize, but there's a way that God has given for the people who will link arms with you to move the kingdom forward. And that is what he's conditioning you for. That's what he's doing with all of us, that he is shaping us for the people who will come alongside. I want to share something. I always, I, I can't get on anybody's anything and not mention a book. And so uh, <laughs> this book is it's called Chase the Lion. If your dream doesn't scare you, it's too small by Mark Batterson. And this is part two of, it's over here somewhere, in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. That's part one, Chase the Lions part two. And he's been talking about the concept of a dream within a dream and a prayer within a prayer. And I'm going to make this connection to um, toxic and transformational leadership, effective mentoring. That we, where we are right now is building on the prayers, the example of someone else so that you moving toward the pastorate, all of you who are watching, moving toward the calling and the objective God has put in your life, it is not because you just woke up with this one idea. It is likely because 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, someone prayed a prayer. You know, someone made a move toward uh, a big dream. And when we look at leadership, transformational leadership, it, it does something in the makeup of who we are and who we are becoming as leaders, where we see, maybe not now, but years from now, if the dream is big enough, if it's a God-sized dream, that's what Batterson talks about, a God-sized dream, that if the dream is big enough, we, we go through our journey and realize, I'm probably doing this because I was impacted by this person who was impacted by that person. And that's how it works. It's a domino effect. And when we look at effective mentoring and effective growth, not wanting to mess the people up, as you said, when we look at that, um, there are toxicity exists in mentoring relationships. And just like transformational leadership exists in mentoring relationships. And we have to choose which system we're going to link arms with. And I tell you, it's easy to say, yeah, I want to be with that transformational leader because we still have this experience, this barrier in our mind. We have an ideal that we're looking for. I need someone to help me do this, this, and this. But when relationship is challenged as it has to be, then we get tested again. Am I going to run or am I going to stick and stay? And then in the toxic example, I'll share with you one of the things I did in my research. I looked at five aspects of toxic leadership. Self-promotion, abusive supervision, narcissism, authoritarian leadership, and unpredictability. And unpredictability, believe it or not, we talk a lot. There's a lot of uh, information flying about narcissism and about tox uh, toxic leadership and toxicity. Unpredictability doesn't always come up as a factor. And 
unpredictability is a sign of toxic leadership. Someone who isn't stable. Monday, I get this, the A version of them. Tuesday, I get the C version of them. Wednesday, I get the B version of them. It's a different person every day. I never know who I'm going to get. That is a sign of toxicity. And whether we've had a toxic experience or all of our experiences have been transformational. Good for you, if that's the reality. <laughs> you know, wh whichever bucket we fall in, we have a choice. And that's why I say the, the language matters because it gives you options. But then when you move into the experience, it, it's important to say, yes, this was my experience. Glean what I can from it. Discard what needs to be discarded. Take the valuable pieces with us and keep moving forward and not let the experience keep us from being that prayer within a prayer or that dream within a dream. I hope that makes sense. I know I was kind of weaving several parts together. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I believe, well, at least for me, it all came together. And if the viewers have any questions, just ask in the comments. We can answer them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so even with that, I'm reminded because, you know, we've had, I don't, we don't talk all the time. But when we do talk, it's pretty It's pretty much like, all right, now I need some assistance. Um, what to do here? And so I remember having a conversation with you and I was, um, I needed to know, basically, I was just, I don't remember, I don't remember the whole, well, I remember, but I won't say everything, you know, that we were talking about. But I remember you shared a nugget with me that I consistently bring up when we're talking to people, of course, in the right moments. You told me, you said, and I don't even know, I, I'm pretty sure you, Unless the Lord told me, you probably didn't know I would be a pastor at this time when you shared this. But you said that um, one thing that we can't do, or specifically I couldn't do in the moment, was protect people from the experiences that God had laid out for them. Because I didn't know what God was using these experiences for for them. But I knew, my thought was, okay, look, I need to make sure that they don't hurt. That was my thing. Um, trying to still keep people from getting messed up. <laughs> And you told me, you said, well, you can't grab them for what God has placed them in, like what God has ordained for them. That really is what it came to. And that's really important because I even think as leadership, uh, we would try to guard our people from being from experiencing things that we, we know we may have experienced, but we don't want them to be hurt in the way we were hurt. But of course, everyone has their own perspective and their own way of viewing things or even experiencing things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there is a journey in this and there's it's always going to be about the journey and that's why we spend so much time investigating the process looking closely at at what the lord says to us paying attention to what we read in the scriptures praying with an intention not just a feeling but praying with an intention to really get a grasp on what God is saying. We do all of that so that we can walk out the journey. Um, is he at the destination? I'm sure. But the, the richness of obedience is in the journey. It's in the journey. And so when we talk about people uh, not wanting people to be hurt, um, I think the, in, the, the act, speaking of intention, I think the intention there is 
not wanting people to be hurt by me. You know, and and of course, I mean, I'm not changing your words. Absolutely not wanting people to be to be harmed or hurt. But there are promises in the scripture that, you know, suffering is part of the way. You know, it is part of the way. And that that is another thing that we have to look at, that if we stay rooted and anchored in the scriptures, that will help us acknowledge toxicity in leadership because, you know, suffering is not toxic. You know, it can toxicity can be the result of suffering if we don't process correctly. Um, if we don't come out in healthy ways, but they are not the same thing. Someone giving correction or encouraging strongly in, in, in I didn't like the way they said it. That doesn't make it toxic. You know, so that's why we've got to filter our experiences, filter our feelings, filter them through the word, not just prayer. And this is the, the praying person here saying this. We can't filter everything through prayer alone. We, we tend to teach. And this would be, I think, appropriate for leadership, a leadership discussion. We tend to teach things in compartments and say, you know, God wants praise. God wants worship. You got to pray. But we, we, we rarely talk about God wants it, all of it. <laughs> You know, and so your prayer can become a praise, can become worship. You know, your prayer is an offering. You know, it is giving uh, to God. There are all of these things that we say God wants. It it filters out into our leadership. So if we we say God wants praise, then I need to be an example of praise as a leader. God wants worship. I need to show people how this is done being visible, being seen doing it. Um, God wants givers, cheerful givers. Okay, um, leadership is is service. Leadership is service. And um, we have to learn, you know, even if you're leading from the front or you're a servant leader who is creating opportunities and pushing people forward, uh, whichever brand, um, style or mode or theory of leadership you ascribe to, However, you're going to do it. It's it's got to be it's it's all example driven, you know, so that it, it's important. It is important that we get out there and we make way for everyone else. Absolutely. I'll tell you um, this little sidebar. So I was talking with my friends the other day and well, it's probably been a few weeks now. And I was saying, you know, since I'm becoming a pastor, I need to do my shout down pets because. Now, the people are going to have to see me shout at the church to know, you know. Well, of course, they can shout without me. But, uh, you know, normally, like, when we go to GKIS, uh, Greater Kingdom International Fellowship, events, convocations, and things like that, I will be the one recording uh, everything that's happening so that we can document it. But uh, I'll need to be the one shouting at the church because other people, I know in my hometown, I, I had not seen anyone uh, shout in the way that I've seen in the Pentecostal church. So I'm going to have to be the example. And I, I use that as the example because that's something I'm working on. Uh, Jessica is my trainer right now, just for the record. <laughs> but, um, yeah, even in other things like giving, and like you said, you will need to be the example. Leaders, how, what, else, what else would a leader do other than lead? And so these are other areas that we need to lead. 
Yeah, because once you when you deal with the individual, you 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 deal with the example. When you deal with the congregation, you're looking at culture, creating a culture. And that starts with you, whatever God has given you to do. And if he did not speak expressly, then there are some wonderful tips in the scripture. You know, but however the Lord has given it, the culture can be has to be set. And that's the beauty of people who link arms and decide, you know, this part of my journey, I'm gonna walk with you in this effort. Because as you be the example and as you cast the vision and share, this is the culture of this assembly and people latch on and people say, okay, that one, two and three, I got it. Four, let's start praying now. You know, whatever it is that then you have points of growth where everybody gets to grow together and, and it, as, after a certain point, the burden of the culture is no longer on you, you know, because it has caught on. And I think that is a beautiful thing about leadership. Leadership is never supposed to remain me showing you. At a certain point, it's me giving this task to you because now you've got it after walking with me. And that it's always a progression. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was agreeing. I mean, I truly believe that. I believe um, that when it comes to leadership, especially, um, especially, well, because we're talking about pastoring now, I believe that even when pastoring, that you're always re, um, what is it? You're um, basically sharing parts of yourself with other people, but training them up in a way that they can handle something that you can do. If I start off, I'm the one that can, um, if I, let's say if I were an accountant, and I was the only one who could do the books in the beginning. Well, of course, I'm not going to teach them a whole accounting enough to get a bachelor's degree, but I show them how to keep those books in order so that I don't have to worry about the books anymore. Now I can move to the next thing as showing you how to run the sound. Now, of course, the things that I don't actually do. But as an example, of course, um, it would be it would be something. It would be first of all, it would be wrong to have to be. We're supposed to be creating an environment where codependency isn't consistently prevalent. Instead, we need actually be leading you into a place of being dependent. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, independent is really what I was going for. <laughs> yeah, so I should be, I think it's reinventing myself per se. Um, of course, the people didn't have to look exactly like me, but we should share some characteristics or even um, some skills at that point. I think that's an interesting point because, and there's, a couple of things I want to say on that. One is uh, servant leadership was an idea that was developed by a man named Robert Greenleaf. And one of the components of servant leadership is stewardship. But stewardship is not stewardship in the way that we tend to talk about it. Stewardship means uh, a sharing of the power, creating opportunities for people to develop a skill. Um, These days, and because we have a totally different way we're doing church and how we're gathering, um, it's a little different, but in in a time not long ago, (laughs) 
you know, I was, I remember coming up and being encouraged to just try everything. So I've served in nursery and I've served in youth church and I've been a greeter and I've, you know, sung in choirs. I've sung in ensembles. I've been on prayer teams, I've, you know, cleaned up. I've taught, I've videoed. I, you know, you, you want to get as much experience as you can in service not just for the functional benefit of, of having a backup, <laughs> but it, it teaches us to play well with others. You know, service teaches us about how one task is not above the other, how we all need to work. And then the other thing is that from a leadership uh, vantage point, when you talk about replicating yourself in other people, um, we look at the ways that we can mentor the ways that that's, that's mentoring. You know, we uh, mentoring can happen formally. It can happen informally. There is even um, other segments of mentoring where power mentoring is a real thing. There's a thing called power mentoring where, and that would be what you describe maybe between us where we don't talk very often at all. But when I get a call, it's usually an SOS call. It's a come and help me right now call, you know, and we we zone right into that. And then, hey, I bid you farewell. You know, that might be power mentoring. But uh, however mentoring looks, when people come alongside, um, we want that experience to be effective. And so when you talk about the skills that people gain and develop and the service that we're going to put out there, I want to share um some of the characteristics of effective mentoring. Uh, accessibility, that's easy. Uh, approachability, that's an easy one too. Um, professional integrity is an, is an aspect of effective mentoring. For the thing that I need your help with, is your name good in this thing? Like, are, are, you, are you solid in this thing? Are you integral? Content expertise, you know, for the thing I need your help with, do you even know anything about it? And that's usually the first question um, that should come with mentoring. What usually happens is people say, I want you to mentor me. I think you can help me. And I have to ask them, what do you need? Because I don't know how to do that. You know, but a lot of mentors uh, don't say, I don't know. And so content expertise is instructive constructive feedback and this ties into that experience you know if we're going to become pastors or if we're going to serve on a core team or a launch team if we're going to be at the foundation of something the beginning of something foundations um, are walked on foundations are built on foundations established they steady a thing so if we're going to be in the foundation of a movement we have to pull that feeling from our sleeve, you know, and be willing to take some constructive critique, even if God gave me this vision. Okay. Okay. But execution requires all of us. So if we, constructive critiques are part of effective mentoring, being supportive, um, motivating guidance, offering resources, um, acknowledging contributions, <laughs> And then challenging abilities. A good mentor will stretch you. 
a good mentor will stretch you. You will hang up from a call with that mentor and think, what was I thinking? That woman's a nut. That man is a nut. Like, why did I even ask them? You know, I really thought I was going to get some encouragement here. Now I feel like I can't do anything. <laughs> I have a sidebar here. We literally had a conversation a couple months ago. And I was saying, that was my call when I said, okay, look, I'm about to be a pastor. How do I not be toxic? And I have so many nuggets that I haven't called you back yet because I've been taking what I have. And it has taken me this time. I mean, major stretching. I, it has taken me this long to go through the things that we've done because I want to call back and say, yes, I, I took what you said and I have done the work. Of course, that would be horrible um, mismanagement of time and wisdom to not do the work. But I'm not saying you're crazy or any of that stuff. But I, what I am saying is she she literally lives what she's saying right now because I, I'm telling you, I am still being switched. And I'm taking, there's still things on this list that I'm taking off. I, um, yeah, so that's my sidebar. Go ahead. Hey, mission accomplished then. We should, we should hang up from calls with our mentors being completely overwhelmed and wondering how do I do this and going right back to prayer. That's what should be happening. And the beauty of becoming, and that's the thing. Yes, you're moving towards a launch date. Yes, you're moving towards uh, establishing a local assembly. The beauty, though, is in the becoming that all of these experiences, being able to document the journey in this way and having you, everyone who's viewing and will view this at whatever point you view, having you involved with a like a through the window type of look is so important. Uh, it, it's, it's the beauty of the process that helps. And so when we talk about uh, acknowledging that toxicity exists and, and avoiding toxicity in leadership, in ministry, in the pastorate, um, part of the way we heal it is by back, backing up to become really kind of getting back to the sovereignty of God, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And because for the believer, there is a different government, there is a different governing element. And when we rely on you know, the, the guidance of the Holy Ghost, then we have, we have a mirror, our, our Bible is our mirror. And we can begin, if we're honest, if we're honest, we can make these assessments and see ourselves and the things that we already know, bad attitudes, bad tempers, don't call me before 10 a.m., don't call me after 10 p.m., whatever our thing is, don't be late, don't be too early, don't talk to me that way, call me by my name, whatever our thing is, <laughs> you know, we can bring that, keep bringing that under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, keep bringing that to the, to the Lord in prayer. And we'll start to watch how transformation happens in the becoming. See, the beauty of healing toxic leadership in ministry is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That as we submit, as we study, we become, remember, transformed not only by the renewing of our mind, but when we look into his, his image, 
we are transformed. So when we get in that word, when we see ourselves, when we allow him to show us the image he sees, the image he desires for us, then we we say yes to that. And then the becoming continues. You know, so uh, being aware of toxic leadership, acknowledging it is not a bad thing. Um, even, even being able to call it for what it is, is not a bad thing. It makes make some waves. It may stir up a bee's nest or, or whatever, but it really is a good thing because John chapter one, uh, we learn about the beginning and God being before the beginning and the word being God. And a few verses after that, we find out in him was life and that life was the light of men and darkness could not comprehend or overpower the light. So when we call a thing out, when we acknowledge that it's real, we've brought it into the light. We have weakened it. We have weakened the dark power of toxicity when we bring it into the light. That sounded Avenger-esque. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, we bring it into the light. And when we bring it into the light, that's when we can deal with it. And that's the beauty of what you're doing right now, because you are able to create and get behind leadership models that promote truth in light, that promote taking a toxic thing and saying, this is toxic now, but y'all, when we're done with it, it's going to be transformational. Amen. Uh, and then another thing I wanted to bring out was that oftentimes, so we are now in a stage where it's like council culture, you know, that's the big thing. We can counsel people uh, for just about anything. And so if we find ourselves um, looking at someone saying they're toxic, well, I think one important thing that I have found in the years, uh, you know, the many years that I've been here doing this, <laughs> well, very short many, but, you know, uh, in the years that I've done this is, is to turn the lens, uh, take a moment, you know, since we're reacting lens, take a moment, take off your glasses and look at what dirt you have in your own lens. Uh, you know, that's taking scripture and changing a little bit to fit this uh, section, but uh, really taking a moment to say, okay, I think they're toxic. I think what they just did is toxic. But what perspective am I looking at it at? Uh, we, I have um, taken time now to look at how, you know, just growing up, things that, things that we experience through life from literally birth until the moment that we're in, the way that we experience things alters the way that we experience um, future things. Really, especially if it's traumatic and we don't deal with the trauma. Yes. Yeah, and that's why um, even when I like one of I'll tell you one thing that I do is if I feel a certain way about something, first of all, it takes me a little while because I'm still reconnecting with emotions and learning even to acknowledge certain emotions, right? And so with that in mind, when I go talk to my therapist, I'm like, Okay, I figured out that I feel this way about this, but I don't even know why I feel this way. And so that's something that I talk through. But I think that it's something that should not just be behind closed doors with a therapist, but also people should think about um, when they experience something, you know, just in life. For example, if I'm in a, if I'm in a, just say I'm in a session um, and someone, just, the two of us are sitting here talking and you say a sentence um, that sparks up something like it literally, um, I forget what it's called, but basically it triggers me. But it triggers a negative effect in me, and I'm, I become upset. But I don't even know why I'm upset. I don't even realize what you said that could have made me upset. And so then we finish the conversation, and I'm 
I'm viewing the rest of the conversation from a negative perspective. I'm offended, right? And <laughs> don't even know why. Well, because of that offense, it then makes me look at what everything that was said and I say, you know what? I don't want to deal with her, right? Well, as I could look at it and say, you know what? It's really my fault. If before I call you toxic, I'm the toxic one because there's something in me that I haven't dealt with. And I think that people, well, we as a people need to also look at our perspectives too. Because someone could really be toxic now. It could be something that needs to be worked out. But it could also be us too. Um, let's not forget ourselves in this situation. That is, oh my gosh, that's, that is a PowerPoint when you talk about perspective. Because perspective is neither positive or negative. Perspective is one of those things that just is what it is. We make it positive or negative. Perspective is always flowing through our lives. Like just looking, thinking about flowing water in a stream, you know, that's how perspective is constantly flowing. And we decide to reach down and pick up something out of that perspective. And we say, okay, yes. And we give value to perspective. And when we give value, if we hang on too tight, perspective becomes a prison. It does, because if we judge people and judges to judge is simply to make a decision. If we make choices and decisions about people through our tightly held perspectives, then that person is held captive to the prison of my perspective and they are not free until my perspective is free. And it can be as simple. I remember um, in my early years in ministry, shortly after I was called to ministry, I used to struggle because I was just so intense and all I wanted to do was pray. And I prayed for hours a day and I had this endurance that was insane. And, but I was so sad because I didn't have much of a social life. People didn't call, they didn't invite. And I was, and I started asking and they, they would say, I got stuff like, oh, I didn't know you, you ate. Like I thought you fasted all the time. Or if I did get invited to something, I showed up in jeans. Oh, I didn't know you owned a pair of jeans. I thought you just like people would literally say this to me. I thought you just prayed all the time. I thought, you know, you just wore street sweepers. Long skirts, long dresses that literally sweep the ground. I thought you wore street sweepers. I thought you would hold your hair back and not wear jewelry. And now wear. I got all kinds of stuff because of what people's perspectives were. And I get a chance to be in different settings now where people have some firm ideas about ministry, ministers, pastors, women in ministry. And I get a chance to show them because I don't say I'm in ministry. It just kind of comes up organically. And when it comes up, maybe seven times out of 10, they are surprised because they're like, no, you're likable. Like, I like you. You can't be in ministry or um, <laughs> you're so approachable. You, I don't feel dumb around you. So you can't be in ministry. Like all these things that have happened to them that they have decided this is what ministry looks like because of my perspective. So it's it's a powerful thing. Perspectives need healing too. They need cleansing too. And if our perspective is toxic, the sad thing is that for some people, it takes years. 
It takes years for them to realize years of sabotage relationships, years of of drama and jobs and crises, years before they realize it was all me. Now we're happy for your awareness, but then it's like, oh, and so you you saying, I don't want to hurt the people. I don't want to damage the people. Is saying before you even hit the go mark, I'm already prov- making sure that I'm aware. And, and people can only be better for that because the effort, what is it? Um, I want to say it's Proverbs 14 and 23. I think it's the B clause where in all labor, there is profit. In every effort we make to completely obliterate toxic leadership, there's some benefit to that. One of the results of my research was that with toxic leadership, we will never have effective growth. We will never have effective mentoring. What what we found is that also toxic leadership and transformational leadership cannot coexist. So as we grow and develop as transformational leaders, we weaken toxic leadership. So we learn it and we study it so that we can have awareness, but we teach and we train transformational so that as that culture builds into something big and beautiful and humanly impossible, it will weaken anyone who comes through, anyone who comes through with a toxic presence, that toxicity will be choked because the culture will bloom transformationally. Well, that is, I'm excited. <laughs> I know you can't tell at this point, but yes, I'm so excited about this transformational leadership that we're evolving to. I'm excited about what God is doing, uh, even with, uh, and you know, while you were talking, I was thinking, since I talked about offense, we absolutely have to talk about your book, Also Working. Um, <laughs> Let me see, do I have it down here? I'm looking to see if I, I tried to keep a copy down here. I don't even think I have. Oh, here it is. Y'all forgive me. I'm in my little office. So this is all working. <laughs> so I was going to say, you know, uh, please excuse my uh, version of what I was about to say about it. <laughs> you know, you can correct me, please. But all working for me is, first of all, when I first saw it, I thought it was, uh, oh, good. I have something to tell me what to do when we get to the altar and work with people. But instead, it's talking about the author of our heart and how um, we can It's really hard for us to do things for the kingdom, to advance the kingdom in any way, when we still have the offense that we've we killed in our heart. And so it talks about getting past the offenses or getting through, not even just past, but getting through them and what, what's needed to get to a place. I think that it's important for us to pretty much wipe everything clear so that God can use us. Like if we're we're going to be a vessel, we can't have trash stuck down in our vessel. Instead, it needs to be completely empty. Like, um, remember the story in the Bible where, or the instance in the Bible where um, they were looking for vessels to put oil in because God was blessing. I feel like if I have all these vessels with all this trash in, or if I'm the vessel and trash is in me, then I need to get rid of all that so that God can pour some oil in there, or allow oil to be poured and let it keep flowing. You know. I feel like yeah. things will stop it from flowing. And well, and then there's the parallel reality of of the trash, uh, because trash is on the journey of becoming. 
Yeah. Um, trash inside, trash outside, trash inherited, trash dumped. You know, mm-hmm. call me when you preach it. This will preach. Yo, but uh, <laughs> but trash is on the journey. You know, remember our, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our righteousness on our own is as trash, you know. And so trash gets in because we have to know how to deal with trash. Trash has to be part of the reality because the the journey to sanctification is removing the trash. Some trash is burned, some trash is balled up and you know, you know, whatever we have, we discard it. Trash has to be part. That's such a powerful point. Trash has to be part of the journey. I have to know if my perspective of God is all blessing, is all cotton candy, is all oil, um, without ever look, if, if it's all oil pouring, then I'll never know what to do with an olive. You know, if it's all clean, then I will freak out when a little piece of paper, a little, what is it in the Westerns, a little wind, the big, the hay. Oh, yeah, that thing that just kind of rolls on by, <laughs> you know, we won't be able to handle And some trash is what the wind blows in. Lord, this will preach. But <laughs> some, some, wind, some trash is what, look what the wind blew in, you know, and we have to make a choice about how to deal with it. Some people, Trashy minds, trashy mouths, trashy lives. Yeah. Such were some of us. So trash is is part of this. Such a powerful. Ah, it's so good. Trash is part of the reality. And so you viewer, you know, don't discard even the ugly places. Even the ugly places. Don't discard those. There is value in the trash. That's what you need to call it. That's you need when you preach it. Call, there's value. I'm writing it down. It's gonna be one of my first sermons. I can already tell. There's value in the trash, and it's and it's um, it it's the it's the power of the gospel. It's the power of the gospel that can reach in the trash and turn it into something else. Turn it into something beautiful. And so I think there's there's a parallel reality that you don't have to walk in this becoming process fearful of becoming the negative. But just being aware that the potential for the negative is out there is enough. It's enough to keep fueling, fueling in faith so that you can walk and be free. And I think that's an element that's going to carry through as just watching from the sidelines in this becoming process that the liberty, and it's not that you get more free, it's that you realize how free you really are. And that I think that's the that's part of the beauty. Well, this has been amazing. I just want to share, I have an addition to this sermon for, you know, I'm a preacher, but whoever else is watching my father's preacher too. Um, <laughs> another thing is, when we think about the fact that uh, you brought up the olive, and I was sitting, I mean, from the moment I mentioned trash, the olive popped in my head. And so I started thinking, I was like, man, when you think about it, there is importance to the olive and the oil. You can't get to the oil without crushing the olive, right? And so then there has to be a filtering to get, you know, uh, all of the all of the excess or trash out of the um, oil. 
that has to have to be a filtering. And there's a consistent filtering because the more um, pure you want it to be, the more filtering that happens. And so I always, it's always important for me to make it public that, okay, look, we're human. We're part of the flesh. I mean, we are, we're in the flesh. And so that means there are going to be things that come up that we find um, when we find ourselves in a position where, hey, I think I'm toxic. I know I called you and said, hey, I had a thought. And I think it means I might be toxic. What can I do to stop it right now? <laughs> and when we find ourselves in those places, it's okay. Uh, that, that just comes with the territory. But once we acknowledge it, then it's okay to work on um, finding out what we need to do to filter through those characteristics and to, um, to work them out of us so that we don't um, put it basically, uh, you know, we talk about leading while bleeding. So then we don't bleed it out to someone else. Uh, we have to filter through, and there are going to be moments where you do some filtering, and then you get you get um, you get rid of the excess. But then some more is going to come, like you said, along the journey. We're going to encounter some more. We're going to pick up some more things. You just filter again. It's okay. Yeah, um, yeah. That's how we designed it, and that's I, I would like to just add a, a point to that that explanation is you know the awareness is not the revelation. Yeah. The revelation comes when we submit to filtering. That's when the revelation comes. Because remember, the revelation is not just, it's, the revelation is going to always point us to the Lord. So the awareness of, okay, yeah, I've got some trash in my heart, fine. But the revelation through filtering, wow, it could be needing to know that God loves me. It could be reaffirming the love of God. It could be reaffirming uh, another truth. But the revelation is going to come with God. You know, it's a revelation. We don't stop at the awareness. We get in that filter and we let those things run out. When I was um, in my early 20s, that was the image that the, the Lord gave me was a funnel. And because it was a season where I was receiving a lot of constructive critiques and people would go overboard. They just, you know, after a while, it, it becomes personal. It's not a constructive critique anymore. And I remember going to the Lord and saying, you know, Lord, I love the truth. That's always been a thing with me. I love truth. So I, we'll, let's put this through. I'm giving you everything they said. Leave me only what is truth. And when I did that and I would worship over it and just spend quiet time waiting on the Lord, I had the image of a funnel. And after I had that image one time, now I don't have to see it. I, I In my mind, I'm bringing a funnel to the Lord. It's like, all right, Lord, you were present for that conversation. I didn't like it, but there's some truth in it. Let's run it through the funnel. And that helped me guard my heart from any harmful effects of the conversation, any fault finding, but I was able to accept what was constructive and take it and lick my wounds and keep going. You know, so it, it that funnel is going to be so important in the becoming, uh, becoming more transformational, becoming less toxic, becoming more loving, becoming more wise, becoming less of a complainer. Uh, whatever it is we want to improve on, we do not improve in our own strength. Um, this salvation is a gift and getting to do life on earth as an ambassador of Christ 
is also a gift. It is an honor. And so we want to keep him involved in all of it. He's not scared of trash. <laughs> He's not scared of olives and he is the giver of the funnel of, of the filtering process. So he's not afraid of that either. Nothing intimidates him. And so we can become uh, without fear. Well, that, I mean, that's amazing. I think that's a good point. You have literally um, been amazing. I'm so glad you were able to come on here. I'm telling you, I've been looking forward to this conversation and this topic specifically. I think it's one that the world needs to hear. So I'm going to do what I can to make sure it's out there. <laughs> Yeah. And so do you have any final statements? Well, I uh, am excited for you and proud of you. And I mean that in a in the most sincere way, not in a condescending way. And I'm so honored to be included in this lineup. And for those of you who are watching and have comments, I'll be checking back from time to time uh, and provide any clarity where where that's necessary. Thank you so much uh, for having me on. It's been an honor to have you here, and I'll be back with you in just a moment, all right? Well, wasn't that amazing? Oh, my God. I'm so glad that you decided to um, even come here and be a part of the conversation. I've enjoyed the comments. Keep them coming. As you watch, even if you're watching the replay, make sure um, you're commenting. Well, I guess if you reach this point, you're at the end. But still, I want to see your comments. Um, Man, please go and follow follow Dr. Scroggins. Look at look her up on social media. She has different things. My um, The Bereans Commentary. Uh, she has Center for Legacy Driven Leadership. Um, just look her up. She has, it's out there. She's a great resource to have for many things. And I don't think we mentioned this, but she, if you want to learn about prayer, intercession, you know, all of that, if you need a resource as to learn how, how to pray, that's just step one. Uh, please look her up. Yeah, she's one that you need to know. And so thank you again for joining us for this segment of Through Ashland's Lens. I pray that your lens has been shifted when it comes to toxicity and leadership and that uh, you've learned something here. So been a pleasure sitting here with you. Uh, I guess we can go ahead and change our lenses now. All right. Now, you know, I do this, but I have to turn around, put mine back on because I can't see how to do anything. But you can take yours off at this point. All right. You have a great evening. We'll see you again next Monday. Bye bye.